The word is very clear that we are to submit to God, that we are not to push against him in our prideful rebellion that comes so naturally, but by the battlefield of the mind, we'll feed our minds with truth. And in those moments that we want to give God a stiff arm, we instead reach out to say, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. You're my one defense. You're my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Fathers, we come before you today, we very intentionally, very urgently, God, we We just run into your presence right now. Father, in a world that is filled with confusion and chaos, deception and evil, God, I pray that you would fill our hearts today with your truth, with your goodness. We even remind us right now, O oh Father, of Your power through the resurrection of Your Son, Jesus. God, remind us right now that no matter what we're dealing with, when we've truly given our life to You, that we're never alone. So, Father, we just simply ask You to do a work in our hearts individually and to do a work in this place today that can only be attributed to You and Your power. So, Fathers, we come before You even right now confessing. Father, we confess our pride before You. We confess our self-reliance. We confess the attitudes of our hearts that don't always honor You. Bitterness, unforgiveness. Jealousy of others. Father, we know from Your Word that You bless the one who seeks to truly obey You and walk in holiness. So Father, I come before You confessing this morning. Confessing and repenting. Father, I pray that all over this room today, there would be prayers of confession and repentance being ushered into the throne room of heaven right now. Lord, don't allow us to walk in darkness, but by Your power right now as we open Your glorious truth, give us courage by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Give us boldness to walk in the light 
as Jesus is the light. So, Father, as we open your word, prepare our hearts. Give us a courage and a boldness right now to renounce anything that's not of you in our minds. Just over this next time period here, God, I pray you would soften my heart. Soften our hearts. Give me a tender heart. Give us tender hearts, O God. That as we listen to your word, as we read your word, Holy Spirit, will you meet us right where we are? Craft and fashion a message individually for each one of us, O God. That when we leave here today, we would be refreshed. I pray that we will be renewed. I pray that we'll be challenged. I pray that we'll be strengthened for the battle that lies ahead. And oh God, as you move me out of the way that I would decrease and you increase, we will give you all the praise. We'll give you all the glory. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of the risen Savior, King Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at verse 13 today, 1 Peter 1, 13, and the title of the message is The Battlefield of the Mind. The Battlefield of the Mind. You know, so much is won or lost between what I call the circus between my ears. There is a ping pong match going on between my ears. There is so much going on in the head, in the mind, that we make those decisions. It's that data center. It's that computer hard drive where we catalog what we hear, what we see, what we learn. And at the same point, that's where we make those pivotal decisions in life on whether to live for Jesus or to make decisions to not live for Jesus. Two of the areas in our culture today where I believe the battlefield of the mind is being ravaged is what I call C-squared. We could actually call it C to the second power times two. On one extreme, we have over here cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity. Hey, I grew up around the church. Uh, My parents were big believers And we just kind of slide into salvation based on the culture, based on what they did. We know from Scripture that that's not true Christianity. That's not a true conversion. But then we also have on the other pendulum swing what we call consumer Christianity. And consumer Christianity is simply this, what's in it for me? I mean, what's in it for me, right? I mean, you, you go to Walmart, that big store, and they got everything there pretty much in life. You could just like put a tent up in the aisle and live in Walmart all your days, amen? That ideology filters into our thinking, even in our Christian walk. The Bible screams a message that says it's actually not about me. That's what the Bible says. The Bible screams a message that says, John, it's not about you. Jesus says, it's all about me. It's all about my glory. It's all about my fame. It's all about my name. And I'll think about that dichotomy because if you're here today and you're living and breathing, you live in a world 
where you are constantly bombarded with messages that it's all about you, it's all about me. So how do we navigate in a life, in a world where we're bombarded with messages day in and day out that prop up this narrative, which is anti-biblical, to pursue self? That when you pursue you and your dreams, that you'll finally have what you're looking for. How do you not just get through that, but how do you overcome it? Well, I believe it happens in the battlefield of the mind, the war zone of the mind. Uh, What I feed my mind with is typically who I become. It was once said that if you can change a person's thinking, you will change the way they behave. See, so much is about what we're putting in our minds. What are you feeding your mind with today is the question I ask me and ask you. What are you feeding your mind with? Who are you hanging around with? Are the people that you and I hang around with, are they making us push more towards Christ-likeness? Or is the reality that we're hanging around people that are bringing us down? Because that battlefield of the mind is so important, church, that each one of us is raging a battle even right now. I'm sure we could spend all morning, probably all afternoon, and maybe all week going around the room telling about the challenges that we're all going through. The issue is not, do we have challenges? The issue is, what are we doing with the challenges? And the reality is, as we take the mind and we get it fed with the truth of God's Word, we will begin to make godly decisions that will now not only impact us, but will impact our families and your business and your ball team, and yes, even your church. What are you feeding your mind with today? What truthfully is going on in the war zone between the ears? I was thinking about that thought and processing that. And, you know, so often we think about living in the the good old days, right? And we recount the good old days. This is what we used to do. Those are good memories. But we must be a people that is moving forward. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. And if you're not moving forward, you're not reaching your community. It's vital in this battlefield of the mind that we hang on to the fidelity, the aletheia, the bedrock of the truth of Scripture. And we, by the way, will never bend, we will never buckle, we will never break on the truth of God's Word. It won't happen. You say, why? It's simple. I've already made a decision that's not going to happen. So when the pressure gets turned up, we're not scrambling going, what do we do? It's already been decided. We're standing tall for Jesus. We're standing tall for the gospel. People go, that might be risky. It's more risky to not stand tall for Jesus. Amen? Now that's risky. There's a peace and a serenity that you go, man, we're giving this all to Jesus. We're going to trust Him. And no matter what comes our way, we'll deal with the consequences. No, let me rephrase that. 
we'll allow Him to handle the consequences of our obedience to Him. It's going to be determined in the battlefield of your mind. If your mind is not fed with truth, your mind will buckle under the pressure of the persecution that is coming. Period. It's coming. It's coming. We could no longer afford to sit with our hands in the sand and just think that's an overseas thing. At some point, the persecution will hit your life. And if you're not grounded in the Word, you will bend, buckle, and break. So what does the Word say in this one verse? It gives us three components. 1 Peter 1.13. Here's what it says. Therefore, in light of what was just said in 10 and 12 from last week, we'll say, preparing your minds for action, number one, and being sober-minded, number two, set your hope, I love this, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ and all God's people shouted. That's an amen moment, isn't it? You know, when you think about this Christian life, we often say we're saved, which is a good thing to say. That's a good thing to say we've been rescued. Another way we might say it is we've given our life to Jesus, a great thing to say. Another way you could describe this is this, that when you say that you've been saved, you're literally explaining to whoever's listening that you've given your life to Christ, that He will now use your life for however He intends. You're basically going, you dangle the keys of your life to Jesus and go, here, you take them. And what happens in this is through this battlefield of the mind of saying, God, you take control, Jesus take the wheel, right? Sounds like a great title to a song. Jesus take the wheel. I mean, literally, you take over, you take control of my life. And the challenge in that is so often people will make the profession of Christ, but they're still hanging on to the wheel. And Jesus goes, look, I don't want this to be a tug of war, we got to live a life, he's saying to us, where we relinquish control, and that is hard in the flesh, isn't it? Man, we all are control freaks to some degree. We want control. We want to control the outcome. We want to control the narrative. We love the control. But the whole point of the gospel is to free us from the enemy of self that we would give total control to Jesus and to him alone. He says, Peter does right here, 1 Peter 1.13, he says, Therefore, prepare in your minds. I believe this is one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture that instructs us on this key concept when you think about this church of, of discipleship and winning the war within. Just think about that phrase for a moment as you ask yourself the question, am I winning the war within? Just ask yourself that. Am I winning the war within? And here's the first part of that verse. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. It's interesting, that word preparing, that word preparing in the original language there gives the illustration as Peter is painting the picture of a man back in that day who's wearing like a long robe. And for whatever reason, back in that day, dudes wore long robes. I don't understand it. That's just what they did. And they wore these around, and if they were going to do a 40-yard sprint, 
If you've ever run a 40-yard sprint in a long robe, you would know that your 40-yard dash time was fairly slow. Why? Well, because you were so ensnared, if you will, right? When Peter is writing this, he's using a word called prepared, and he's using this word prepared, and he's showing us that we are to literally gird up, if you will, the robe. The robe that gets tangled around feet. And so many people are running this Christian race, and they continually trip along the way. They're stumbling, they're fumbling, they're bumbling, they're mumbling, and they're eventually crumbling. Which I believe, for one reason, right here in this one obscure verse, 1 Peter 1.13, that you see very clearly, Peter instructs us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's instructing those that he's writing to in that day, those persecuted Christians, he's saying, look, if you're really going to live for Jesus, if you're really going to be these people that are all in and go make disciples that make disciples, you have to. There's no way around this. You can't circumvent it. You can't hop over it. You can't call a timeout and go back to the locker room. You have to prepare your mind for action. You have to. We do this all day at work. You go to your job and I'm assuming you just don't go to your job and clock in and then go take a nap for eight hours and go home. It'd be kind of weird. I mean, you are preparing your mind for action all day long and work, right? I, mean, I want to be good at it. I want to get a promotion. I want to get a raise. Why don't we do the same thing in our Christian life? Actually, why don't we do better? We typically produce what we put into something. And here Peter is imploring There's an intensity in his writing here, a a very intense dialogue, if you will, as he's writing to these people saying, look, you you have to prepare. You gotta, you gotta pull up just not one side of the robe to run, not even the other side, because you still got the front and the back that are dragging. He says, you gotta pull up all your sides. You gotta literally, in the mind analogy, you have to tie up all the loose ends of your mind. Because the more we think about something, the more we typically think about something. I could use reverse psychology on you right now and say, don't think about the greatest memory in your life right now. Don't do it. And what are you doing? Well, you're thinking about the greatest memory. The mind is something that is so beautiful that God gave us, and yet if we're not feeding it with the truth of God's Word, you know, it's kind of like putting you know, um, Gatorade uh, in in a Corvette gas tank, right? Boy, it it looks like it's going to go really fast on the outside, but good luck. It's mission critical that we begin to prepare our minds because I'm telling you, with, with just sincereness, the battle is on our doorstep. It's here. It's no longer like out in the distance. It's here. The battle is here in our country. And this is not, hey, you know, this person or that person or this party or that party. This is light versus darkness. This is gospel versus the enemy. That's what this is. 
And we must prepare our minds. For what? Well, what's your Bible say there in front of you? Verse 13, it says, in my Bible, ESV, it says, for action. Think about this. It's not some arbitrary, meaningless exercise to fill a time slot during our day. There's purpose here. There's intensity and there's purpose for action. Now, this is very interesting. That word action has two definitions. So, as you look at that word action, you see there's an understanding that's moving, action. But you also see here there's a desire to do. We could call it this, there's a desire to obey. Now, think about that for a moment. Just pause. In my life, in your life, is there an intense desire to pick up everything that's ensnaring as you're running the race? Hebrews 12, Hebrews 11 and 12, so beautiful, those narratives. But to pick it up and to cast off everything that so easily ensnares us, right? Just cast it all off. The sin and all the baggage and the burdens. Is there this intensity in your life and my life to prepare to actually go and obey? That's what he's saying here. He's saying, begin to prepare in such a way in your life with the fidelity and the aletheia of the truth of God's Word that it's so clear, it resonates so clearly. There is no misconception that you desire with all your life, with all that you are, to be all in for Jesus and to obey Him every step of the way. I thought about that concept, obedience, and I wrote down this key number one. Key number one, write it down. True faith in Christ, not false faith, true faith in Christ, requires a preparation of the mind that is not passive, but active. Let me say that again. Write this down. You're going to need this. True faith in Christ requires, I'm going to show you that it requires here in a moment, a preparation of the mind that is not passive, but active. I believe passivity is one of the great tools of the enemy, especially among men. In my years of working in men's ministry, and being a man, I know that one of the greatest strategies the enemy uses is to convince us men to be passive spiritually. Just be passive. Don't lead your home. Don't lead in the church. Don't lead at the workplace. Just kind of go along to get along. And that approach that I've seen over the years, even the challenges in my own life where I have been passive, have reaped incredible consequences. A true faith in Christ, whether you're a male or a female, is God has given us the glorious truth of the gospel that we would not passively 
live out this life in lukewarm, apathetic indifference. So many times people will tell me, well, I believe in Jesus. And so often as we begin to dialogue about this, there's a very passive belief. Remember what we learned a few weeks ago about what it means to believe from Scripture? It means to commit your total trust to. So for God so loved the world that whoever commits their total trust to in Jesus shall never perish but have everlasting life. Boy, that changes that verse, doesn't it? Oh, I thought all I had to do was just recite some prayer and hocus pocus, I was in. Well, that's just not how it works. Jesus gave everything for you and me. He requires us to give Him everything that we are. And why would someone who's truly saved not do that? That doesn't even make any sense. I was processing that even deeper and just burdened. I'm just burdened for our country, burdened for the state of the American church across our country. And I made a couple notes here. I said this, we must deprogram our minds from this Humpty Dumpty intellectual only form of salvation, which is not salvation, because we will never stumble into true preparation of the mind by accident. We must desire the mind of Christ. When's the last time you asked the Lord to give you the mind of Christ? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Showing humility. King Jesus and His suffering. And yet we must feed our minds with truth, church. The battlefield of the mind. We must desire the mind of Christ, especially in the dark dungeons of life that we all go through. And for some of you today, you're going through a dark dungeon. There's a big pile of suffering. You're like, Lord, why are you doing this? God, what are you up to? How can a good God allow me to go through this? If your mind is not prepared, if your mind is not feasting on the glorious riches of the treasure trove of Scripture, where will you turn? When the pressure mounts, where will you turn when the heat is turned up? Where will you turn? Well, I pray we can turn to Scripture as you write down these supporting verses. Romans 12, 1 through 2, write these down. Romans 12, 1 through 2, probably the most famous passage regarding the renewal of the mind. Romans 12, 1 through 2, Paul writes to the church there in Rome. He says, I appeal to you. Now, don't miss that. Seems kind of just, hey, it's filler, it's not. Paul is sharing his desperation. Paul is sharing his heart. He's saying, 
I appeal to you. Like he's saying, I beg you. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present, to present your bodies as what, church? A living sacrifice, not a dead one. No, Old Testament is gone. Not a dead sacrifice. We're a living sacrifice through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then what's he say? Well, he goes on. Love this. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Did you catch that? If you're ever wondering what is your spiritual worship, right there's your answer. It's a life that says my life is no longer my own. I'm going to dangle the keys of my life, every corner of my life, every nook and cranny, every door, every compartment of my life. Here's the whole set of keys, Jesus. You take it. That's the spiritual worship. And then verse 2, do not be conformed. There's an admonition there, not a suggestion. Do not be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to this world, church. Don't be pressed into its mold. There are molds of the world everywhere that the world is trying to press you and I into. Oh, just conform to this, conform to that. Hey, you know, this isn't that bad. It's okay. No one will know. And the world is pressing in from every angle. Here Paul is writing saying, I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you, sisters. Oh, do not be conformed to the world. And he could have stopped right there. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he says these potent, dynamite-filled words, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern. Did you catch that? There's a discernment of wisdom that comes from the mind being renewed. So as the mind is renewed, now my discernment meter goes up. As the mind is renewed, I could go Proverbs 9 and 10 and say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everything is an outflow of the mind being renewed. Everything is an outflow of your union with Christ. And here Paul, he's appealing to that audience and to us saying, look, that by testing, hmm, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How are you and I today preparing our minds? What are you and I doing right now on a habitual basis to prepare our minds? What are we doing to to pull up, if you will, so we can run and run the race and not keep tripping and stumbling and fumbling and bumbling and mumbling and crumbling. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. 
In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Well, I believe Jude 3 gives us a good admonition. In Jude 3, there's only one chapter, so that's why we call it Jude 3. Here's what we studied months ago in that entire book of Jude. And here's what he reminds us, verse 3. Beloved. So pause there for a moment. Seems real simple. It's not. Romans, I appeal to you. Jude, love it. Like, are you getting the context here? These writers who are filled by the power of the Holy Spirit have an intense desperation for their audience. And they're saying, look, here's truth. Don't walk in error. Don't walk in darkness. Walk in truth. Jude says, Beloved, right here, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I'm going to fade back and punt, and we're going in a different direction. I found it necessary to write to you to do what? To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That word contend is so vitally important. It means this, to battle to grapple, to struggle with, to wrestle. If you're a true believer here today, whether you like it or not, you have signed up for a spiritual battle. And it is raging. If you say, hey, I'm in for Jesus, and your dad here going, my family's in for Jesus, you're a grandpa saying, my family's in for Jesus, you got to buckle up. The fiery darts, they are fast and they are furious. And Jude and Paul and back to Peter, they're all saying basically the same thing. If your faith is real, it's going to prove itself to be real by being active, not passive, as you intentionally, urgently, and desperately prepare your mind for the battle ahead. I was thinking through that thought, and as I worked my way through this one verse, there were so many things that that were just boggling in my mind. This action thing is so important. Living the Christian life is not a spectator sport. Living the Christian life is not being a weekend warrior. Uh, Living the Christian life, as Tony Evans would say, is not being a smo, a Sunday morning only. That's not living the Christian life. How is the Lord speaking to your heart even right now about preparing your mind for action? If you don't prepare your mind for action, take this from personal experience. When you're placed in the situation that you should have prepared your mind for action for, it often is too late to choose to do the right thing. 
not too late that you can't do it. It's just too late that you don't want to do it. I tell my kids all the time, have a plan. Have a plan. If you wait till you're in the temptation to come to the conclusion, let's hold hands and pray, that ain't happening. And so many people all over our country, even adults, profess the name of Christ, but very little to nothing is happening as far as preparation for action. Well, then Peter, he gives us the admonition to be sober-minded. Very interesting word, phrase there, sober-minded. We think of sober being uh, not drunk. Uh, Literally, it means this, to be clear-headed. But it also means this, and this is so important, it means to be self-controlled. To be self-controlled. There was a bag of, uh, or not a bag, but it seemed like a bag. There was a big container of Oreos on the counter the other night. Yeah, that container was in the trash pretty quickly. And it was empty. There wasn't a whole lot of self-control there. Kind of funny how that happens, right? (laughs) Even in the things of life that don't seem that big, but when it comes to Oreos, that's a big deal, amen? Here's the deal, and there's a reason why Peter has this outflow. Think about this for a moment. If your mind is not prepared for action, you will not have self-control. Just think through this deductively. If your mind is not prepared for action spiritually and scripturally, you won't have self-control. That's the whole problem. So here's key number two. Write this down. Key number two in your notes. True faith in Christ is exhibited by a life that desires to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Key number two. True faith in Christ is exhibited. It's doing something by a life that desires, by a life that desires to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. One of the marks of a true believer is a true believer will be joyfully submissive, number one, to God. That's a mark of a true believer. If you're a person who struggles to be joyfully submissive to God, you're on a really slippery path at best. The Word is very clear that we are to submit to God, that we are not to push against Him in our prideful rebellion that comes so naturally, but by the battlefield of the mind, we'll feed our minds with truth. And in those moments that we want to give God a stiff arm, we instead reach out to say, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. You're my one defense. You're my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. But that's a challenge in the flesh because our flesh is weak. But we must desire to be under that control. There's something beautiful to see a person, a man, a woman, a student, a child that desires to be submissive to the Lord. It's just refreshing. And then it's equally discouraging when you see those that profess the Lord. And through even body language, you can see a disdain 
for any sort of joyful submission to the Lord. I made a note of a couple verses here to give you that I pray will will challenge you and encourage you because we live in this me-centered, as you know, me planet, me universe, the selfie generation. I mean, think about that again. There's nothing wrong with a selfie. We all take them. But just the whole concept of, of the selfie, right? To put the focus on me. Uh, you think about in our culture, there's that show that's been on for years called American Idol. I mean, just ponder that title for a moment. That's what the enemy does with consumer Christianity. That's what he does with cultural Christianity, right? But here's what the Word says. The Word says in Ephesians 5.18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, you could take that verse and you could plug any idol in there, really. The whole point is that idols, as was once said, is really anything that we run to for comfort, significance, and meaning. That's not Jesus. Those are the idols. And we know they're idols because, as was once said, that if we're afraid of losing them, that's idolatry. Part of the narrative in the consumer Christian church and the cultural Christian church is it's okay to have idols. (laughs) Which when you read Scripture, it's not. And Peter here is imploring, and he's imploring like a dad. He's imploring like a dad who loves his children. And when you really love your children as a parent, it's not always popular to do the right thing. It's not always popular. Your kids won't always like you. But you do it because you love them. You have a deep love saying, I don't want you to go down this path. And Peter's saying in 1 Peter 1.13, he's saying, look, you got to be self-controlled. You have to be sober-minded as the Holy Spirit gives you this. How do you get the Holy Spirit to give you this? You really give your life to Jesus. Everything is an outflow of your union with Christ. Everything. If you get that one point buttoned up and it's real and it's true, everything's an outflow. That's why there's so many challenges. There's so many people that are trying to behave like Christians who really aren't Christians. And that's going to be tough sledding. It's kind of hard for me to go to NASA and tell them I'm an astronaut because I'm not one, though. I can wear the suit. I can even go sit in the parking lot on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. But I'm not really an astronaut. It's real when it's real. And when it's real, both you and those around you will know it's real. Under the control of the Holy Spirit. He controls us where we go. Do you understand this, church, that if you are here today in in Christ, that you have given your life to Christ, that's your profession, do you understand this, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? I mean, do you understand this? The Spirit of God lives inside of you. I don't know about you, 
In, in one hand, that encourages me. On the other hand, that terrifies me, right? Because I, I know what I think at times. I know when I lose my temper at times. I know when I'm unforgiving and when I'm rebellious and all these things, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. That even thinking of it just grieves my heart. I don't want to live like that. I want to be fully submissive to the Holy Spirit. Whatever you want from me, I just, you lead off, I'll know. But I'll never get there if I don't intentionally prepare my mind for action. It won't happen. So what does First Peter tell us at the very end of this? He says this, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love this phrase here, set your hope. This is so good. This is so rich. Right here it says this, to miss a lock your hope on, to wait with extreme confidence and trust in, to anchor your hope to. So many people today are hoping and wishing, right? Men, we're hoping and wishing that we're going to get another stimulus check. Hey, we're hoping and wishing that, that we win the ball game. We're hoping and wishing this, you know. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That is not so that I can make more three-pointers. That's not what that verse is in there. There's so much hoping out there. There's hope, I hope, but there's not real hope. Biblical hope is an unwavering confidence in the person and the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a confidence there. I begin to sing for joy in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the struggles. We just go, oh, I know my Redeemer lives we set our hope on set our hope how fully did you catch that first peter 1 13 last part of the verse set your hope fully it means this totally completely without any reservation now think about this let's go all the way back for a moment so you set number one i got to prepare my mind if I'm not preparing my mind for action, I won't be self-controlled. If I'm not self-controlled, think about this, church. It's going to be really hard for me to set my hope on what really matters. It's going to be really easy to set my hope on everything that doesn't matter. That's easy to do, isn't it? Driving this, living here, bank account, 401k, sailboat, vacation, all the stuff that doesn't matter, we set our hope in. And Jesus is over here going, I'm your hope. It all starts, though, with the preparation of my mind. If I feed my mind with truth, I'm self-controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the natural outflow will be one of, I'm setting my hope on Jesus. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Key number three, our last key. Here it is. True faith in Christ is exhibited by a life that has its hope totally built on the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. 
comma, both presently and futuristically. Let me say that again. Key number three. True faith in Christ is exhibited. It's lived out. It's fleshed out by life that has its hope totally built on the person and finished work of Jesus Christ, both presently and futuristically. I mean, the temptation, as I alluded to earlier, is to set our hope on everything but Jesus. That's consumer Christianity and cultural Christianity. And the Bible screams a different narrative. The Bible says, set your hope on Jesus and nothing else. Because everything else will lead to a path going nowhere. Everything else is a cul-de-sac going nowhere. Everything else is a merry-go-round going nowhere. But Jesus is the one that says, I have come to give you life and to give you life abundantly and free. Not just here, but eternally with Him. Amen? And yet so often we miss the whole point. How much time do I and do you spend planning for eternity? Peter is speaking bold words here when he says, set your hope fully, not partially. Because it's impossible to fully set your hope on Jesus while even partially setting your hope on yourself. You can't do it. And someone once said this statement, which resounded with me this past week. They said this, and I quote, difficulties don't determine who we are, Rather, they reveal who we are. The difficulties aren't the determining that this is going to happen. They're going to reveal where my, where my hope is. We all face challenges. Welcome to life. Welcome to planet Earth. Amen? Here we are. Our difficulties aren't going to determine this. They're going to reveal who I am. And I would even go a step further my difficulties reveal whose I am, who owns me. True faith in Christ is exhibited by a life that has its hope totally built, totally church, on Jesus. If you've truly given your life to Jesus, you've given Him total control. The Holy Spirit's inside of you. And for that life that's real, you will long, you will long to live in holiness and righteousness and obedience. Because trying to live a spiritually healthy life while also living in blatant disobedience, that's like I was out in my yard the other day and I was looking at all the weeds. And I thought, trying to live a spiritually healthy life while living in obedience is like me planting what needs to be planted and simultaneously planting weeds. It doesn't even make any sense. It's like starting a fire and going, oh no, there's a fire in my living room. What do we do? Quick, someone grab the lighter fluid. That'll solve the problem. I mean, that's the deceitfulness of disobedience. And, and disobedience, again, we, so often we kind of categorize and go, well, again, I don't, don't murder, I don't rob banks, don't sleep around, check, I'm good. But then we got this little compartment called rationalized disobedient sin that we kind of hang on to, 
And we have no idea that as we live in that, God's hand of blessing is actually off of us. His hand of judgment is on us. He's literally given us the stiff arm now because He does what? He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. That's why these final verses, I pray, will encourage us, but also challenge us from God's Word. Here's the first, Romans 6, 1 through 2. Romans 6, 1 through 2. Here's what the Word of God says. What shall we say then? Question. Paul writes now to the church in Rome. Are we to continue, listen closely, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Answer, by no means, exclamation point. Here's the question. Here is the question of the hour right here. How can we who died to sin still live in it? I mean, just think of this for a moment. So we profess to be a believer in Christ. We're willingly living in sin. And right there from God's Word, Paul says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Well, it's an easy answer. We haven't died to sin. We may have externally raised the hand and said the prayer and did the cartwheel and signed the card and got dunked, but it was all external. Well, if we just read from Romans 12, 1 and 2, be transformed. See, real disciples have really been transformed. They're not perfect. We're still in sanctification. We still struggle. We still sin. But there will be a marked change. People who know you will go, I see Jesus in you. Like, I see Jesus in you. And for those who profess Christ and are not walking in the light, when they see Jesus in you, that will be greatly offensive to them. That's why Colossians, Paul writes now in Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, he says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, so a true conversion, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now look at verse 2. Set your minds. There's that word set. Missalach, confidence, anchored to. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of this earth. For you have, church, died. And your life, this is awesome, is now hidden with Christ in God. This is amazing. So verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, that's where real life is, if you're searching for meaning in life, right there's the answer. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's going to be an amazing day, amen? For the true believer, that's going to be amazing. And right there it is, set your mind on things above. Why? Because you've died. You said, I no longer want self. I no longer have to have the accolades. I just want to live for Jesus. Jesus, here's the keys. Take the keys to my life. Use me for however you want, Jesus. And we're hidden, protected, under, submitting to Jesus. He's the one that sets us free. That's why Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14 says it like this. Titus 2, 11 through 14 for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce, to abandon, 
to have nothing to do with ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live, church, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. 13, waiting expectantly with confidence for a blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself He gave Himself for us to redeem us, to buy us back, to purchase us back from the sin, from the lawlessness around us, and to do what? And to purify, to make us spotless for Himself. A people for His possession who are what? Zealous for good works. Did you catch that, church? For the true believer in Christ, your life is no longer your own. That's just the reality of Scripture. You can fight that battle. You can wage war against it. You're not going to win. Scripture is very, very clear. Jesus purchased us for His possession. And as He's purchased you, the true believer, for His possession, from that outflow right there in Titus, as Paul writes to young Titus there, he says this, as you are His possession, you are now zealous for good works. You know what that means? It means this. In the midst of all those around you that make fun of you and persecute you and call you names and slander you, you still obey Jesus. And what a glorious day that's going to be. I don't know about you, but I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It was messy. It was ugly. There was a lot of problems along the way, but Jesus, we ran hard. How about you? Are you preparing your mind today for action? Are you truly under the control of the Holy Spirit? And with all of that, are you setting your gaze on what really matters? On King Jesus, on His glorious appearing. That's why the takeaway question is simply this. How am I daily preparing my mind for action? This is spiritually we're talking about. Spiritually, how am I daily? Answer that truthfully. What are you doing? What am I doing today to prepare my mind? I know this. If I do not prepare my mind to, to the best of my ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to guide my children in the ways of the Lord, and I've made so many mistakes, and there's been sin in my life in that regard that I deeply regret. But if I don't choose today to make those decisions, do you know that the MTV generation is waiting I mean, they are waiting to drive your kids and grandkids off a spiritual cliff. We must prepare our minds for action, to set our hope on the Lord. Lastly, here's the action steps. Five of them. Here they go. Number one, to daily prepare your mind, my mind. Drench your minds with these steps, church. Just drench them. Number one, humbly confess and repent from sin throughout the day. Imagine if you and I do that all day long. 
all day long, we're just humbly confessing. Lord, I shouldn't have thought that. God, why did I say that? Why did I speak unkindly to my wife or my husband? Why was I rude to that fellow coworker? Why did I think that thought that wasn't of you? Just all day long, we're humbly confessing and repenting, turning from sin all throughout the day. Number two, read, study, and meditate on the Word of God throughout the day. Here's the real easy way to do this. Pick one verse, even a short verse, read it, study it, and then mutter and murmur it all day long. If you've got to go with Jesus wept, start there. Read it, meditate on it, and mutter and murmur it as you study it all day long. And what's going to happen is as you build these healthy habits in your life, you're filling your mind with truth. You're preparing your mind for action. Number three, spend time in fervent prayer throughout the day. Again, the way I do it is I just have a running dialogue. So I don't get up at 327 every morning and you know, pull a map off the wall and then pray over every country for nine hours. That's not what I do. Uh, I just get up and I just start talking to the Lord. All right, Lord, we're getting up. Where are we going? First, help me get out of bed, amen? And then we just kind of go throughout our day. Lord, where are we going next? Who do I need to text? I actually ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? Constant communication with the Lord. Number four, listen to Christ exalting music throughout the day. Uh, What a great admonition. Uh, Find a great Christian-inspired music with theology. And feed your mind. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. Well, you feed your mind with that all day long, and you'll begin to believe it. And then lastly, the, this is a toughie. Number five, surround yourself with people who push you to be more like Jesus. Surround yourself with people who push you to be more like Jesus. It's very true with our kids, and it's very true with adults. Who we hang around with is who we become. So we want to be a people as we live on this earth, that we know our Redeemer lives, that we know they conquered the grave. We have to remind ourselves this. Keep preaching truth to yourself in a culture of foolishness, wickedness, and nonsense on every level. Preach the truth to yourself, church, just all day long, that I know, I know, I have confidence. I'm going to feed my mind. I'm going to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to set my hope on Christ and Him alone. And you begin to live this way. And God will do a work that only He can do. We can't do the work in our own lives. I can't save you. I can't save myself. But Jesus can do both. Amen? Lastly, I was reminded this past week of a a story years ago that occurred in That story really resonated in my mind as I was thinking through a particular scripture that I wanted to share with you. And this scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 9, and 10. I want you to listen to this as I close. This is Paul writing. So Paul, uh, persecuting Christians, a Damascus road, got radically set free from the enemy of self. Life is no longer his own. Goes on and writes the incredible portions of the New Testament and and lives on the edge for Jesus all his days. And here's what he wrote, though. Here's the, the humanity of Paul. 
right here. If you want to know about the humanity of Paul, here it is, right here on the screen in front of you. 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10. Here's what he said. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Wow. Doesn't look too good, does it? But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Amen? I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know your story. I don't know your pain. Jesus does. And I'll tell you this, as you walk through the valley and the pit of pain, your pain has purpose. Just like that pain that needs to be solved through the gospel message. And that story I was reminded of was many, many years ago in a war-torn country, far away from this United States of America. The account of some children were playing on a road, and as they were playing on the road, and it had somewhat of an incline, a ball that they were playing with rolled down the hill. And it went into a, a pasture area. That pasture area, that field, uh, seemed to be somewhat innocent. And as that ball rolled into the field, one child went in to fetch the ball. As they got into the field, it was quickly realized what that field was. That field was filled with landmines. And as that child navigated through that field to get to that ball, the explosions, they said, were going off one after another as the vibration of the ground were triggering these explosives. The child became very scared, very terrified as could be understood. And the account of that text says it like this, that their screams could be heard for miles because no one would go in and get them. I wonder about the spiritual screams that are all around us. As people are walking on one landmine after another, all in these neighborhoods around us. And the question I ask myself first, and then I ask you is, will we allow their screams to go on for miles? Because no one's willing to go in and get them. Oh, church, we must rise up and prepare our minds for action. To be under the control of the Holy Spirit. To be those people that give glory to God, that want to make disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples. Why? Because our hope is not here. Our hope's in heaven with Jesus. And we set our gaze on Him. We want to take as many people as we can with us. Amen. Oh, Father, we come before You and we bless Your name. Father, I pray as we meditate on the truth of Your Word. Lord, I pray You'd raise up a mighty army. A mighty army of sold-out disciples of Jesus. Oh, Father, we just we plead with You in desperation. Our country is in such trouble on every level.
as we live in this post-Christian America, God. Oh, how we need believers. Oh, how we need pastors that will count everything else as loss and to be determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But I pray that we just be obedient, knowing that when we're obedient, we have Your blessing. When we're disobedient, Your hand of blessing is off us, God. Oh, Lord, do something fresh and new in this place today. Lord, we need You. Not just on Sunday or Wednesday, but every hour we need You. We've got to pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. This will be our anthem. I pray we lift the roof off this place today as we sing this song. They'll be the cry of our heart. That's no longer I, but Christ. Oh, God, do the work. Do it now. Give us boldness and courage to be all in for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.